0: As we come to the third chapter of this book, 1 Thessalonians, we're immediately drawn to the fact that Paul speaks about a servant, someone that he knew closely, and I speak, of course, of Timothy. And I've entitled this morning's message, Are the Trademarks of Timothy in You? I think we have it up on the screen. In our passage in front of us, the chapter itself, Paul speaks of uh, trademarks that Timothy possessed that every Christian uh, can look to knowing that, of course, uh, Timothy is not listed in scripture as one of the apostles. But as a young man who had come to faith at a very early age, brings to the table of our own Christian experience trademarks that for all intentional purposes should be available and in us. Uh, I'm not sure where the title went, but uh, I have an outline for us this morning, so I'll bring you to verse 1 of the third chapter. Paul says, Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, We thought it good to be left in Athens alone and sent Timothy, our brother and minister of God and fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. As we've studied over the last few weeks, we know that, that the Apostle Paul, after leaving Thessalonica after only three short weeks goes to Berea, finds in Berea those who were more noble than the Thessalonians in that they searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul was declaring about the Messiah, about Jesus Christ, about the profession of faith in him lining up with everything in the Old Testament, the Bereans looked to see if those things were so. And then Paul went on to Athens and in Corinth, so longing to know what happened to the Thessalonicans, the Thessalonians rather. How, how are they doing? I was there, but. And so when he could no longer endure it, he sends Timothy. And we see here in uh, these first couple of verses and verses that follow these trademarks of this uh, young servant. And I'd like to share some of those trademarks with you this morning with the, the hope and the intent, if you will, for you and I to ask ourselves at the conclusion, are these trademarks in us? The first that we see, of course, there in verse 2 is that he defines Timothy as our brother. And I would draw from that the first trademark being that Timothy is a member of the family of God. Therefore, he is called a brother. And as a member of the family of God, it, of course, opens it up, ladies, to embraced the reality of being a sister in the family of God as well. A brother or a sister in the family of God. First trademark. And how do we know that that is so in Timothy's life? How did Paul know that that was so in Timothy's life? Well, his name speaks about some of it. If you break it down, it is... Timotheos, which actually means honored of God, valued of God. He was a young man in Lystra, uh, the son of one uh, mother named Eunice. His grandmother's name was Lois, and his father we know not much about. His father was Greek apparently, more than likely, had passed away by the time the Apostle Paul came through Lystra and met this young man. And it is understood predominantly by most theologians that Paul took this young man who had been taught the scriptures from a young age. Now, remember what the scriptures there in that context mean. It means that His mother, Eunice, who was a Jewess, practicing Judaism, taught Timothy the Old Testament. Taught him the truths in the Old Testament from a very, very early age. And then here, as a young man, Paul comes on the scene and says, Oh, Timothy, let me share with you how those truths are actually pointing to the person and the work of Jesus Christ and led him to faith in our Messiah. The way Paul knew this is because Timothy is a family member in the the family of God by edict of the blood of Jesus Christ. His receiving of the fact that Christ had gone to a cross willingly laid down his life, crucified for the sin of all mankind, placed in a tomb there for three days and resurrected. Family member by blood. It is interesting to me that not more than 20, 30 years ago, the process of DNA profiling became a very true reality in our world. Historically, I'll read, the identity testing in the forensic field started with an analysis of blood group systems. Later, new markers for identity and paternity identification were based on uh, variations of the serum proteins and red blood cell enzymes. Eventually, uh, human lecotate antigen systems were used, and it wasn't until 20, 30 years ago that Sir Alec Jeffries, professor and geneticist at the University of Leicester in the United Kingdom, pioneered what we today know as DNA. And yes, initially used in the tracking of, of the in the criminal justice system, Has it not moved forward into actual paternity testing to find out whose child a child really is? DNA testing is currently the most advanced and accurate technology to determine parentage. In a DNA paternity test, the results, which are called the probability of percentage, is zero, when the alleged parent is not biologically related to the child. And the probability of parentage jumps, typically, if you're taking note, to 99.99% when the alleged parent is biologically related to the child through the testing of DNA. My point this morning, Timothy was a child of God by the DNA blood of Jesus. Are you... You are not a child of God by church membership. You are not a child of God by church attendance. You are not a child of God even if you crack your Bible. You're a child of God only if you've placed your faith in the blood of a risen Savior to atone for the sin that we are innately born with. Is that you this morning? Is that you at home watching this morning? Timothy was a member of the family of God by the blood of Jesus. Paul says, our brother. Are you a brother? Are you a sister in the family of God? It is the first trademark. We know through scripture there were other Great gals that were serving the Lord Jesus. Phoebe, Romans 6.16. Paul commended to them our dear sister Phoebe, who is a servant in the church in Centuria. The sister of Nerus, Romans 16.15. In the same family with the saints. Are you a family, part of the family of God through the blood of Christ? The second trademark that we see, of course, there in verse 2 also, is that Paul calls Timothy a minister of God. It is a unique word, of course, minister, translated servant. It is from an obsolete Greek term that was used broadly. But here in this context, Paul is calling Timothy a a, a diakonos, servant, which meant uh, he was an errand runner for God, a attendant for God, a, a waiter like one who waits on tables for God. Is that you this morning? Is that me? Do you love running an errand for God? Do you love waiting on the table of another individual? For the glory of God? Are you an attendant to the things of God? You see, as we go through this list, it's like quite probing, isn't it? It doesn't just, you know, become ink on a page and and words that mean nothing, but by the Holy Spirit, it begins to like move in the heart of the listener. Lord, have I placed my entire faith in your blood? Lord, today am, am I an errand runner for you, attending to the things that concern you and willing to put on that apron and serve tables. Boy, after our dinner uh, Friday night, I was just like, oh my, look at how many serve!" During the dinner, oh my, how many serve!" getting ready for the dinner. It is a tremendous thing how many servants of the Lord are in this fellowship who run errands, who attend, who wait on tables. The third trademark that Paul ascribes to Timothy is that he's not only a brother, a minister of God, but he is also a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse 2. Fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Original words, Sunero goes. But it's uh, transliteration brings a little bit more understanding to us of what it means. It means a companion in the work. A helper. Someone who works together. Years ago, we used to... um, have a young man that often found himself here at the church knocking on the door, needing help. Um, There were some substance issues in his life. And he would find himself in between jobs and a little bit without money. So we would reach out to him to give him uh, something to do around the fellowship here, whether it was mow a lawn, paint a fence, or something, and and endeavored to help him Uh, financially, humanitarianly, but at the same time share again the good news of the gospel with him. And his descent was Hispanic. And it wasn't a, a real quick change, but over the course of several years as this young man kept coming back one day uh, a dear brother here in the fellowship led him to faith in Christ so committed his heart to the Lord, and uh, he would start coming to church and just his countenance began to change he began to you began to see a new and a different individual and he shared with me one day the the meaning of compadre in the Hispanic language, and I'm sure Antonio could correct me if I'm wrong, but that uh, it It was more than just friend. It was a companion, a worker, co-worker. And so here, Paul ascribes to Timothy that he's not just a person. He's his companion, his compadre. He works with him, not just digging a ditch or swinging a hammer or whatever it is, but in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You might ask this morning, what does it mean to work with someone uh, in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Well, I would venture to tell you that at times when we just lock arms uh, in multiple areas, we are endeavoring to work together in the gospel. Um, give you some examples. What was it a year or two ago? We celebrated 20 years ago, 20 years here at Calvary Chapel, and we put in a play structure on the front lawn, and we painted the place and gave it a facelift, and just about everybody joined in, in some way, working together. Well, were we preaching? Not necessarily. Were we out on the streets hanging aside? Not really. But we were laboring together to move forward the gospel of Jesus Christ that is proclaimed and declared week after week by the grace of God here. So it is a a variety of ways in which we work together or our companions or our fellow workers in the gospel of Jesus Christ. For Timothy, he actually traveled with Paul. He actually grew in his ministry uh, to at one juncture later on is commanded by Paul to go back through the cities and appoint elders in the cities. Are you a fellow worker, a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ? We know that um, Abraham's servant was a fellow worker in not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but in painting a picture of what the gospel would be. What do I mean by that? Do you remember Abraham uh, and his son Isaac? Of course, you probably recall when Abraham took Isaac to Mount Moriah and was going to offer him to the Lord, and God intervened and stopped and told Abraham, now that I know that you are willing to obey me even unto The sacrifice of your child, stop, and a lamb was there in the thicket, and God provided a lamb. He provided himself a sacrifice. Fast forward, uh, at that time, Isaac was, was, the word is lad in the scriptures, so he was 12, 14, maybe 16. Fast forward, now it's time to get a bride for Isaac. Isaac is the son, right? And the son needs a bride. And so what does the father do but send his servant to go find a bride for his son? And it is a foreshadow, if you will, of the work of the Holy Spirit who is in the world today, convicting of sin, of Righteousness and of the judgment to come, preparing a bride for the Son. The Spirit of God working. Elisha, you recall, took up the mantle of Elijah and his prayer was for a double portion. Working with the prophet John the Baptist going ahead of the Messiah making straight the way of the Lord. And when Jesus came to the Jordan River, John was you know, amazed and he says, y- you want me to baptize you? I have need that you baptize me. And Jesus says, know that the scriptures must be fulfilled. Are you a fellow laborer in the gospel of Jesus Christ this morning? The fourth trademark that Paul ascribes to Timothy is in here Also, later on, read it down. In verse 2, he goes on to say that he sent Timothy to them to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith. The fourth trademark is that Timothy has the ability to establish and encourage others in their faith. And both are necessary works this morning. But there is an order. One must be established in their faith before they can be encouraged in their faith. One must come to an understanding of what it means to believe in a risen Savior, what it means to commit one's life to the one who gave his life for them. To become established and rooted in the love of God and the clarity of the gospel message. Is that you this morning? If someone were to ask you, why do you believe in God? People are dying. There's war. There's corruption. How can you believe in a God who allows these things? What would your answer be? Are you established enough in your faith to not only establish someone else, but then encourage them as well? Powerful trademark that Paul ascribes to Timothy. And notice he didn't send Timothy down there to like, you know, inspect the church. (laughs) At times it is sad that others become fruit inspectors. Uh, in the church, they want to know if someone is, you know, spiritual fruit is okay. You know, Paul sent Timothy to establish and encourage them. Is that you this morning? Is that me? And we go on in verse three, we read. That no one should be shaken by these afflictions. And Paul, of course, is speaking about what's happened to him. For you yourselves know that we are appointed to this. For in fact, verse 4, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened. And you know, for this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. if you recall at the beginning of the book, Paul makes the declaration that their work is not in vain. And here he revisits the subject, telling them through Timothy that he had to know, were those three weeks profitable? Or did the tempter come in and tempt them concerning their faith. This fifth trademark that Paul ascribes to Timothy is none other than discernment and the ability to discern temptation in the life of others. It's an important thing. Not only is it an important thing but it is a spiritual gift that Paul says uh, can be is available to every believer. I speak, of course, of 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, Paul is talking about the gifts of the Spirit endowed upon the believers. And in this fellowship, we are Pentecostal in that regard. We believe that the gifts of the Spirit are available for every believer. And if you ask the Father to give you the Holy Spirit, to fill you afresh with the Holy Spirit, he will do so. And Paul talks about those gifts that at times uh, in, uh, historically in the Pentecostal church or what we know as Pentecostalism, the pendulum swung way to uh, one side, if you will, where extreme Pentecostalism, hyper-Pentecostalism can become uh, unfruitful, unproductive, and even somewhat abused in the life of the Church uh, of God. And then if you know you look at fundamental Christianity, which uh, through denominationalism, at times the pendulum swung way to the other side that says, no, the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is, is something that only took place 2,000 years ago in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, that it was the apostles that were filled, and, and that doesn't take place today. Well, we are uh, fundamentally a Pentecostal-believing church, and what we seek to do is keep that balance in the middle knowing that the gifts are available to you and to me. Paul talks about them to the church at Corinth. He says, to some, there are the working of miracles, to another, prophecy, to another, the discerning of spirits. It is a spiritual gift. And Paul attributes that gift to Timothy, When he sent Timothy to see if the tempter had tempted them concerning their faith. Timothy had that gift. That was a trademark. He could walk into the scenario, into the fellowship, and be able to get a spiritual pulse. What was God doing here? How are things going? Remember what we're told in Hebrews 5.14 as it relates to that? The author of Hebrews tells us that solid food, uh, a good, steady diet of the deep things of God from his word, solid food. We had ice cream for dessert last night. That's not solid food, it's fun food. A dear friend of mine once used to say that ice cream, because it has calcium in it, is uh, one of the best sources of calcium. Not true solid food belongs the author of hebrews tells us to those who are full age adult mature christians hebrews 5:14 you can look it up later that is to those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to be able to discern both good and evil to be able to discern Eve had no discernment. When the adversary of God dropped into that garden and whispered in her ear, did God really say? Spoke to her that, no, he he just knows that the day you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which he has told her clearly not to do, the day you eat of it, Eve, he knows you'll be like God. Her discernment had left. And she took of the fruit and she ate. And we know the consequence that she gave to her husband and her husband ate. And they were both naked, and their eyes were opened, and they had fallen from an unbroken fellowship with God, what we call original sin. The Bible teaches that because one has sinned, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That even the most precious of infants, no matter how beautiful and sweet they are, comes into this world innately, carrying forward what the scriptures tell us is sin. How does a child learn to disobey? You tell a young child not to do something, what often happens? They may go to do that thing, and then the necessary action is discipline, to discipline or correct them so that they know what is good and what is not. How does that come? It's by way of, as the patriarch David says, I know I was conceived in iniquity, born in sin. Discernment, beloved, this morning is an important characteristic. Paul ascribed it to Timothy. And it's an important characteristic as we come to this communion table. Last point on this note is that Paul said that he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. 29. So as we come this morning to remember what God has done for us through the giving of his son, to remember what Christ has done through willingly lay down his life, I ask you and then I entreat you, and if you're listening at home or wherever, that you ask yourself, Lord, are these trademarks in me? Have I placed all my faith in your blood? Am I your errand runner? Am I a companion in the work of the gospel, establishing and encouraging others and exercising the gift of discernment to know when someone else is being tempted to fall away. We'll move on and we'll close. Sixth characteristic was that Timothy was a good news bringer. Uh, we read in verse Six, he says, But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us, we as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we are comforted concerning you by your faith. Timothy was a good news bringer. Isn't that a great trait to have? Isn't that a great trademark? To be someone who comes into the environment and brings good news? Uh, We have a lot of critics out there today. We have a lot of, of those who are discontent, those who are very dissatisfied, maybe dissatisfied with humanity, discontent with our social standings, maybe even discontent with what's going on in a, in a church or the church. Timothy was a good news bringer. Hey, it's, it's okay to be uh, introspective and have a perspective of what's going on globally, nationally, locally, in the, in the fellowship and the church of God. But let's not be filled with bad news, shall we? After all, We are possessors of the best news ever. We should be good news bringers when we come into the scenario and have the opportunity to give it. Lastly, we see that Timothy was one who lived to know that others stand fast. Verse 8, Paul says, For now we... And he's including himself and, of course, Timothy. We live if you stand fast. Knowing, knowing that others are standing fast in the Lord. That's a great trait to have. And we can make that declaration today of a dear brother who has recently just passed. Friday night, Brian Ames was with us, sharing his faith, sharing his great personality. I remember his eyes were bloodshot and he had a a migraine headache and he said, I just don't feel well. We prayed for him. Those of you who are here may remember speaking with him. Yesterday, about 6 o'clock, I got a call from his brother-in-law, Chris Sherwell. Brian went home to be with the Lord. The coroner says it was a stroke. I talked with his father and mother later last night, and Brenda and Chris over speakerphone was able to hear how they're doing, pray with them. Brian's dad, Paul, said that when they found Brian, he was in a chair, Bible next to him. Phil is here with us, I think. Phil, you're the one who found him. And what's, where's the good news in that? Please keep that family in your prayers, but here's the good news. There were circumstances in Brian's life that he had recently come to faith. He had come to a living faith in a living Savior resurrected. He was a man who, when confronted with truth from Scripture and knew that it was to apply to his life, would submit to that. Are you such a man? Are you such a woman? When you come to something that the Lord says, this is how it's to be, and this is what I want to see in you, is your first response, Oh Lord, I submit. Brian was often willing to just listen and go, well, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do in this. What do you think? And and listen to the truth and then submit to it. And all of us who knew him, I believe, can say today that Brian stood fast in his faith. Why God chose to take him home yesterday, I don't know. Are you standing fast, or are you wavering? Is your plumb line straight, or is it a wobbly string? Where are you in your walk with Christ this morning? What a a season, what a special time of year to just say, okay, Lord, it's about you. Have your way in my life. These trademarks that we see in Timothy, ascribed to him by none other than Paul, are not trademarks that belong only to the Timothy of Scripture, but are to belong to every brother and every sister here this morning, myself included, and those listening at home. First, I'm saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Secondly, I long to be his errand runner. I want to work with anyone that wants to labor and be a companion in sharing the gospel. These desperate times in which we live is not truth needed. There is an entire society getting sucked away by fake news, wrong news, bad news. We've got good news. to learn to establish and encourage others in their faith. Are we to just be receivers all of our life? Yes, hopefully from the Lord himself, but at some point in our own walk, to be able to establish someone else in their faith, to be able to encourage someone else in their faith, and to be able to discern when someone else is being tempted to walk away from the truth of faith the call of God upon their lives to be that bearer of the good news to help others stand fast i see those in this passage i confess to you this morning i know they don't all work you know 100% in me i'm lord have your way but isn't it something that we at the close of 2021 could say Lord, I want that too. Where do I start, God? How do I begin? And he says, just come. Come to the table. Remember what I've done for you already so that I can send you to do for me. That's joy. That's True joy to know that I don't have to work for this. There's nothing I can do to earn it. It's already been purchased for me. And Jesus said, I came that you might have life and it more abundantly. We come this morning to embrace and receive afresh the life he gave and a life more abundantly. We come this morning to say, Lord, it's your blood. It gives me hope. Lord, cause me to be your errand runner. Cause me to be a fellow laborer. Establishing and encouraging, discerning. When I bring good news, knowing that others stand. Perhaps the Lord is speaking to you this morning. If he is, I commend his word to you. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Fathers, we quiet ourselves and reflect on what your word says and what is said to us in your word, as we think upon the things that you might even be saying to us through your word. We come, Lord, first, joining to pray and ask that you would comfort a grieving family this morning, but to also remind them of the reason to rejoice of where your servant Brian is right now in your presence, no longer struggling with what we struggle with here in this life. And Lord, you said that any time and every time, as often as we come to this table, that we're to remember you. We've spent our morning remembering, Lord. And if you were to call us to any kind of action, may you find us willing, each and every one, to just say, yes, Lord. For you are our living hope. And we again have come to remember you this morning and ask you to have your way. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The men are going to distribute the elements, and we'll partake together. Let's worship the Lord. How great the chasm that lay between us. How high the mountain I could not climb. Desperation, I turned to heaven. Spoke Your name into the night, and through the darkness, Your loving kindness tore through the shadows of my. there's salvation in your name Jesus Christ What a joy to hold this morning the elements that represent the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that on the night that he was betrayed, that he too began and instituted what we call communion. He took bread and he gave thanks. And he told those who followed him, all three years, that this is my body broken for you. They did not quite understand fully what that meant. They would shortly. But he was talking about what would take place as he gives his body upon the cross at Calvary. where he was brutally crucified and bled so that the blood of the Son of God would now atone for the sin of all mankind, where the body of the Son of God would be given as a sacrifice. And he said, take this, eat, and as you do, remember me, let's partake together. And we thank you, Lord. Our gratitude is deep. Words cannot contain how great your grace is. It is a small thing that you ask of us to lay down our lives as well. for you have laid yours down for us, and we thank you. The Gospels remind us that in the same manner he took the cup, and as he gave thanks and raised it, he said, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood, which is shed for the remission of sin. To some degree, they understood The sacrifice of an animal and the shedding of blood to atone for sin. But they would only fully understand it after his death and resurrection. This morning we look backwards to what is true. What took place was eternal. It fulfilled all scripture. And he says to you and I, take this cup, drink all of it, and as you do, remember me, let's partake together. Lord, how can we thank you enough? Thank you for your body, thank you for your blood that are the expression of your grace. For we don't deserve what you have given to us, but by faith we receive it to walk in it, and we give it, give you the praise in Jesus' name, amen.